This week's episode is brought to you by Oma Dasala and her InstaDialer. Quite simply, the fastest way to dial up your next destination. Using cutting-edge multidimensionality that is barely understood, this thought technology is so easy to use, one could go from, oh no, I'm being shot at, to there's my way home in a fraction of a second. Simply be multidimensional and something of a god yourself, and you're on your way. The fastest way to go from here to there. Our thanks to Oma Dasala for sponsoring this episode. What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 Lock. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 69. Nice. And we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, Window of Opportunity. We're an independent podcast, and you can help keep us independent by going to Patreon and supporting us. Uh, again, friends, if you can't or you shouldn't or whatever, these are these are real stressful times right now. Friends, don't worry about it. <laughs> but if you are so inclined to help keep the show supported uh, in an independent fashion, every dollar that is contributed is going to Zach's computing device. Thank you so much for everybody who has signed up already. If you're interested, you can just go to patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. I'll be the, I'll put a link in the show notes. I'm getting a lot better at remembering that. And as always, you will always be able to find our show everywhere where there are podcasts like Google Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts and Apple Podcasts and on every podcast aggregator that matters. And uh, don't forget, uh, just for those special, special people that like to use Apple Podcasts, uh, leave a review and we will do a dramatic recreation of said review because that's how we roll. Uh, and if uh, if you want to have a special thank you, uh, you know, you want, if you want to hear my smooth voice say your name on the quote air unquote, then uh, again, hit us up at patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. Uh, Zach, if somebody is saying, uh, you know, friends, uh, I love you guys so much. You guys are doing such a great job. I'm going to throw I'm going to throw a thousand dollars a month straight at you to keep doing this wonderful thing. But I want to let you know that I'm about to do it. Uh, how should they? How should they let us know that fantastic news? Wow. Well, if you're actually going to throw a thousand dollars a month at us, uh, <laughs> we're going to be you. saying thank you in some pretty thank unique you. ways. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um, uh, well, suffice it to say, uh, Patreon will ping me as soon as you do that, and so I'll recognize that. I will uh, then have to reattach my jaw, and yes. then I'll email you and says, "Really?" And then you'll email <laughs> you me back sure? and say. Are you sure? Yeah. And then, Are you sure okay. you didn't make a factor of a hundred error? <laughs> <laughs> um, so suffice it to say, if, if all that happens and you want to chat with us, uh, you can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. That's W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, so... Also, send your predictions that way as well. Oh, yeah. You can put them on Facebook, uh, as a lot of people often do. Um, when you send predictions, send like put predictions or something like that in, in the, the subject, so I know that that's what it is, and so I don't read that. And so other emails, I know what they are, and then I can read those and, and then yes. respond appropriately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can follow us on Twitter at StargateWalking uh, and join the conversation that's happening there, or on mm-hmm. Facebook. We've got a Facebook page and a Facebook group. Most of the chit-chat happens in the Facebook group, mm-hmm. um, but uh, the Facebook page is there as well, so uh, check those out. Yes. They're excellent. Yes. So, Brent, yeah. today is, as we record this, Saturday, March 28th. 
Yes, it is. And all there day. is a rather significant... Yes, all day. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Uh, there's a rather significant uh, holiday in the Christian world that's coming up called Palm Sunday. Yep. Uh, I mean, I mean Easter. I mean, you know, Palm Sunday first and then Easter. Suffice it to say, that's the next two weeks. And yes. me, who works at a church, I am swamped. Even in the midst of all that is happening with the coronavirus and COVID-19 and, and the shelter-in-place orders that are going around, all of that's happening. Even with all of that, I'm still very busy. And so we are going to take a two-week break uh, for the next couple of weeks, but don't worry, uh, whatever the week is after that, uh, Brent, I don't have that off the top of my head. No. Nope. Um, uh, but but we'll, anyway, yeah, whatever that is, we'll come back and we'll be back for uh, to continue on our way. And uh, no commitments, but Zach and I were chatting a little bit about maybe possibly throwing up some lightweight, enjoyable stuff in the intervening weeks. Just but no, 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 like real show. Doing the real show takes a bit of work and you know zach does a pretty decent amount of that bit of work i just get to sit back and watch a show and be all like let me tell you my thoughts la 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 uh zach does a ton (laughs) zach does a lot um and so uh uh yeah but anyway so a couple week break Woo! yeah so uh then that means we're also relying on you to keep the walking through the stargate alive by chatting on facebook or twitter or wherever so. Yes, that is that is true. All right. Yeah. So, Brent. Yes. We are talking today about window of opportunity. Yes, we are. Shall we dig into the background? Let's do it. All right. So the director of Window of Opportunity is, unsurprisingly, Peter DeLuise. Yeah, uh, but I totally did not think to look for him. Ah, well, uh, would you like me to tell you where he was? Yes, of course. Okay. So, you recall that uh, Jackson and O'Neill were talking in the hallway, and then <gasps> Sergeant Siler plowed into yes. Jackson yes. Uh, quite expertly. Yes, uh, twice. Twice. And uh, then uh, Sergeant Siler, who ran into him, who's also the stunt coordinator for the show, which... <laughs> yes. Uh, and apparently, that was real. Like, like uh, Dan Shea, like, literally just bowled over. Uh, Michael Shanks. <laughs> okay. But suffice now, it to say. Uh, <laughs> what we're going to do here is that we're going to pretend like I'm going to run into you. Okay. Ready? One, two, kablammo. <laughs> hey, hey, you got to make it look real, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then uh, the two guys who picked Dr. Jackson up off of the floor uh, is of course Sergeant Siler and yeah. some other airman, and that yes. other airman is is Peter, Peter Deluise. Gotcha. All right. Yep. Um, this is, I think, his third episode this season. I didn't write any of that information down, but he's done a lot and will continue yep. to do a lot. Yep. Uh, the teleplay for this is by Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mully. Mm-hmm. This is the first time we have heard their names in terms of the teleplays. Mm-hmm. However, if you've been paying attention, their names appear all over the place in the Stargate world because they have been co-producers up until this point in time. I see. Okay. After this episode, they become full producers oh. of this episode. Uh, and uh, eventually, this is while this is their first teleplay credit, this will not be their last one. They mm-hmm. have a total of 74 teleplay credits for SG-1 Atlantis and Universe. Wow. That's a lot of content. That's a lot of content. So these guys are 
significant mm-hmm. in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as I mentioned earlier, this has been uh, a very busy time for me, and so I will leave uh, their description at that. Uh, next time we run into them in a couple episodes, I'll try to spend some more time digging into a little bit more about each of those two men. Sure. All right. That makes sense. Yep. We do have a guest actor worth talking about in this episode. We have Robin Mosley, who plays Malachi. Uh, Malachi, or Robin Mosley, was born uh, April 3rd, 1955 in Vancouver, British Columbia. He's been in all kinds of stuff, including 21 Jump Street, Mm -hmm. uh, which is one of Peter DeLuise's earlier shows. Uh, He was in several episodes of MacGyver, The X-Files, and of course, he's been here in Stargate SG-1. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, He does actually come and appear in another episode of SG-1, but has a different character. Oh, okay. Um, His first credit, according to IMDb, was as Scoot in Reckless and in Love, way back in 1983. (laughs) Scoot. His character names are great. All right, yeah. so he so, was he was in Reckless and in Love as Scoot. Yep. <laughs> uh, I I wanted to know what this was about because sure. so I looked it up. Uh, Reckless and in Love is about a daredevil motorcycle rider who falls for an older artist. Huh. Uh, it stars Meg Foster, Doug Greenall, Robin Mosley, others. Uh, I looked down and noticed that Bill Bill Paxton is also in this oh, film. Oh, nice. Uh, game over, man. Game over. <laughs> uh, Robin also was in the movie Elf. Aha! And uh, his last IMDb credit was in 2011. Oh, And okay. I did a little poking around the other night uh, to try to figure out uh, whether he just decided to retire and what he's doing now or what happened, and I couldn't find any information about that. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's out there, probably, but uh, sure. I didn't find it. Right. So... Gotcha. Okay. The original air date for Window of Opportunity was August 4th, 2000. Uh Uh-huh. Number one on the charts for August 4th, 2000 in the U.S., they were still listening to It's Gonna Be Me Uh by NSYNC. And uh, last week I was way wrong. The music video is not the little puppet one. That one is, uh, oh, shoot. I remembered it and then I forgot it. Whatever. This isn't it. That wasn't the one. So... Sorry, all you NSYNC fans, for making you claw at the dashboard and or, uh, you know, yeah, digital well, device. I, I had it wrong. What can I say? It's okay, Brent. We'll forgive oh, you. Thank you. This once. This, Just once. this once. Just this one Just time? This once. Okay, that's nice. You have used your mulligan. <laughs> more mulligans. All right. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so kind. <laughs> well, you know. The reality is, you'll get another mulligan next time. Oh, good. All right. <laughs> but we can't tell you that right oh. now. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I then so I forget it. Tell you what. So okay. I'll. Uh, what you'll do, Zach, is what you'll do is that you'll 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 initiate a time loop, a ten hour time loop, and then I and then next time you just won't tell me, and that'll be fine. Okay. You know what the worst thing about being stuck in a time loop is? Get, uh, having getting stuck with your face in the door with the thing. You know what the worst thing about being stuck? In the time <laughs> We're is? not doing this again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, Zach, okay. what was number one in the UK on August 4th, in, 2000? In the UK on August 4th, 2000, they were listening to Seven Days by Craig David. I don't know Seven Days by Craig David. I don't know Craig David. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, then, so then we know what this is going to be. We know how this is going to go down. So uh, we'll cue it up right now. 
All and right. uh, yeah, go for it. Okay, so uh, number one in the box office, as we listen to the smooth, dulcet tones of Craig David singing Seven Days, <laughs> uh, on the first day was Hollow Man. On the second day was The Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps. And on the Man. third day was Space Cowboys. Because and The Nutty Professor 2 and Hollow Man. Did I say Hollow Man? No, I'm saying... What? <laughs> so, on the first day of... Whatever. Oh, I'm, oh. <laughs> never mind. Sorry, I'm in the way. Okay, you're about oh. to talk to me about Space Cowboys. Okay, yeah, because, you know, um, what's better than... Uh, that's Tommy Lee Jones, isn't it? Yes, that um, is Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Uh, number four, on the fourth day of the seven days, uh, <laughs> God created Coyote Ugly. <laughs> and he said, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> And after that, on the fifth day, he's like, what lies beneath all of this? That's that's a dangerous question to ask. (laughs) Oh, Uh, funny. And God finds himself in the shrink chair couch of a shrink and uh, begins contemplating God's own existence. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Doc, sometimes I wonder, am I even real? What is a dog anyway? I mean, go- do you ever just get the feeling that like you might just be like an illusion? <laughs> Sometimes I just don't feel real. Oh my gosh. God having an existential crisis. Oh, that's so good. Uh, oh boy. Right? <laughs> so, oh, okay. Well, what happened around this time? Sure. Yeah. What A couple of days before this, on August 1st, the first patient, patient to receive the Jarvik 2000, which is the first total artificial heart that can maintain blood flow in addition to generating a pulse, oh. happened. Neat. So, there you go. And then, one day after this episode aired, on August 5th, uh, perhaps the greatest actor of Star Wars history, Alec Guinness himself, mm-hmm. dies of liver cancer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that was what was going on around this episode. Gotcha. Not a lot. Now we have a lot of trivia for this episode. Okay. So, so you know, at the beginning of each of these time loops o'neill is eating fruit loops yes and if you noticed carefully for each shot those fruit loops looked identical and there's a reason that that that's the way it was yeah and that's because those fruit loops were all glued together into his spoon Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so because they were glued (laughs) he could do whatever he wanted with them and they wouldn't go anywhere and that way every shot would remain the same uh, the way they got... Uh, <laughs> That's clever. Yeah. Uh, the, the way they got uh, uh, Daniel Jackson's part, you know, when it's like, that's just the way I think about it. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, uh, that was just the same shot re- regurgitated over and over. So, yeah, and I was immediately thinking to myself, like, okay, the, the act of gluing Fruit Loops to a spoon doesn't take a lot of time, so, you know, go for it. Um, because the other way that you could get all of those first opening lines... Um, because I think every single one had a cut, so you know, so so eyes open, looking down at Fruit Loops, then looking up to uh, to 
Daniel saying, well, that's just what I think about. What do you, what do you think? And then it's cut to uh, O'Neill holding the spoon. And then he has several different starting reactions, but all of them, I think have a cut back at uh, Jackson and Carter and then back to O'Neill where he does something like flips the spoon down or drops, you know, like he does all sorts of stuff yeah. with it. Um, but you could theoretically just be running, you know, just, you know, have your actor hold the spoon, keeping the Fruit Loops in their same space and then just run the, the three different openers. Right. You know, like, you know, keep holding that spoon. And OK, now now this is the first time where you're really confused. And this is the second time where you've seen this before. And this is the third time where it's now just like old hat. Great. Continuity yep. achieved. Yep. Yep. And of course, when they were filming it, they did film like all of those shots and then they turned the camera and they filmed all of those shots together. Um, and this is an episode that made all of that very, very easy to do because everything was the same. Um, yes, so, it's true. Not a lot of set uh, dressing. Nope. We'll uh, get to more of that in a little bit. So in an interview, the producer said that for a long time they had been looking for a chance to show somebody golfing through the gate. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> and after they finished the principal filming for this episode, they realized that they were going to be short on footage because everything was the same and you didn't have to have all of those little shots of people walking into a room and walking out of a room yeah. and establishing yeah. for each individual shot. Because as soon as you did that the first time, you could just cut immediately to the action, the second, the third, the fourth time. They were running short. And so they were trying to come up with all sorts of different things that they could do to add to it. So a lot of those things were improvised and the golfing was one of them. Yeah. Uh, and so they seized, seized this opportunity to do that. Uh, Christopher Judge is an accomplished golfer, and he could hit that golf ball very easily through the Stargate. Yeah, it was very much right, right in the middle. Richard Dean Anderson wasn't so much of a golf uh -huh. uh, aficionado, and so he struggled with many attempts, and eventually they used CGI to... Uh, complete the scene and even then they chose one that it was going it was going really right really fast yeah. <laughs> that's funny oh uh, uh and i love those pants oh the outfits oh, yeah. they're wearing is just awesome oh absolutely um what so are you doing in the middle of my backswing <laughs> <In the>, yeah <laughs> um so you know the the scene uh, where he's creating the ketchup and mustard smiley face. Oh, yeah. That was one of the last scenes that was filmed because here again, they needed just a little bit more uh, for it. And yeah. they like, and he just did that and threw that out there real quick yeah. as part of it. Nice. Um, yeah. So all, all sorts of, you know, the, the, the uh, bicycle through the hallway uh, was, was added as a result of all of this, um, you know, the pottery and, and all those, a lot of those were, were, were like, we need more to fill this up. What can we do? What can we do? What's funny? Um, they did a good job. <laughs> he did. Uh, so the book Latin for the novice that Jack reads um, was mm -hmm. written by Joseph Malozzi, PhD. <laughs> uh, who was, of course, one of the writers yes. for this episode. Uh -huh. And apparently um, he actually does have a PhD. Oh, um, well, then I, t I take some of those ha's back. So just like maybe maybe two ha's. Ha ha. There you go. Um, Don S. Davis uh, and Robin Mosley uh, both appeared in uh, MacGyver together in the same episode back in 1988. Mm -hmm. They played the hunters Wyatt Porter and Earl. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, Great. Yeah. 
Um, so, at the end, it's said that the Tok'ra have been trying to reach them for over three months. Yes. No set values are given, and we don't know when the Tok'ra began to try to connect to Earth. However, if you kind of figure an average of 30 days per month, yep. so that's 90 days, yep. 90 days equals 24 hours, that's yep. 2,160 hours, 10 hours yep. per loops yep. approximately, that equals 216 loops or more. Which, when you put it like that, well, but no, but that's like, that's basically almost a year, right? Because presumably they wake up not tired, right? The, the loop starts and they feel just as refreshed as they would have at the beginning of the day. One would assume. And so, actually, yeah. and so for all intents and purposes, you know, understanding that these would be really short days that they were living, they were living almost 216 days. I mean, not, not equivalency, right? I mean, I'm just, I'm just acknowledging that, that each loop would feel like a full day, almost, a short right. day. But that's but, the minimum. Yes, that's the minimum. No, that's the absolute minimum. You know, after how things uh, ended in the last episode with the Tok'ra, um, you had to figure that it was at least a couple of weeks. Um, sure. If not more. Yeah. Um, you know, who knows? Yeah. Talk about a window of opportunity, man. Well done. Well done. You like that? You like it? Okay. <laughs> so, if we look at this episode and the title in different languages, we uh -huh. have all, they're all over the place. Okay. The Spanish just call it window of opportunity. Okay. The Italians call it time inversion. Okay. The Czech call it time loop. Yes. Uh, the Hungarians call it a small opportunity. <laughs> the Polish call it loop. Loop? That's it? <laughs> loop. The Germans call yeah, it yeah. kein Ende in Sicht, which is no time. end in sight. Oh, no end in sight. Ah. No end in sight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and the French yeah. apparently don't realize there's a movie called The Neverending Story, and they call this The Neverending Story. Oh, funny. I wonder what The Neverending Story in French is called. I don't okay. know. Okay. You, it could be you, called. I don't know. It could be called Time Loop. Um, yeah, it could be. Yeah. <laughs> window of Opportunity. I'm going to look that up <laughs> while, <laughs> while you keep going. So um, I do have one goof to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not really a goof. It's just, you know, kind of interesting. So while they're playing golf, Jack asks Teal'c how far away the planet on the other end is. And mm -hmm. Teal'c says it's several billion miles. However, if you give the fact, given that light year is approximately 6 trillion miles, and the closest star system is 4.5 light years from Sol, Teal'c is off by several orders of magnitude. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, you know, so uh, the nearest planet is, you know, roughly 25,000 billion miles, Jeez. or 25 trillion miles away. Um, and that's the closest planet. And Alaris is not the closest planet. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you could, you know, recognize the fact that who cares? Who, yeah, uh, right. Um, uh, you know, it, it, I wouldn't say it's a goof, but it is kind of interesting to think about all of that. Uh, so, yeah, I agree. No, there was definitely so. a moment there where... Um, you know, towards the end, I know that we're getting cart before horse, but like when they were talking about like sort of the implications of their consequences uh, to a variety of worlds, that one felt a little, I mean, they kind of had to do it 
for other reasons that we'll probably get into. But on the other hand, it was like, eh, I mean, it felt superfluous. But whatever. Right. Uh, well, by the way, I am. Uh, I caught just the ever so slightest glimmer of an answer about what the title of the never-ending story was in French. I'm trying to find it again. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Uh, la histoire sans fin. Uh, the story without end. Um, like, <laughs> so it's the same. So <laughs> they were like completely unoriginal on that one. So there you go. Well, so the French, you know, yeah. Yes. It's the French. It's, oh, hey there, mister. Anyway. You know, I, I did that just for you, Brett. Just for me? Thanks. Thanks, yeah. Zach. I can always count on you. Yeah, well, you know, I'm German and, and Norwegian, so you are welcome to, uh, uh, well, and, and Dutch. So, you know, you, you're welcome to make any disparaging comments you want on your I on guess I won't, but that's heritage. okay. Uh, how, about we, uh, how, about we, how about we How about we? dive into this thing, Zach? All right, so here is the synopsis for Window of Opportunity. Carter is directing O'Neill and Teal'c in setting up equipment on P4X639 to see how bad the coronal mass emissions from its sun really are. We're safe, right? Sure. Sure. We're safe. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jack is busy examining the writing on an ancient whack-a-mole device. And he made a new friend. <laughs> the archaeologist from some other planet named Malachi. The language of the writing is similar to Latin, and it's a language O'Neill spoke a year ago when he lost the flatus to speak properly. <laughs> Malachi. Did you so hang on real quick? Hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> so a long time ago, we used to take the synopsis straight from like the Stargate wiki, and the past few weeks have been decidedly much better. Have you been writing these yourself this whole time, or like, oh, like over the past so, several episodes? So for easily. Uh, the last 10 or 15 episodes. Uh, and what I do is I take the the wiki, Stargate Command synopsis from the wiki, Yeah. and I use that as a framework, and yeah. I basically build my own from scratch. Gotcha. Using, so I use that as a means to, you know, sometimes I just, just cut and paste. Yes. Uh, but oftentimes I'll just use that to kind of help me walk through the episode. Yep. Um. Because, you know, otherwise it's literally watching the episode again and pausing and writing and, you know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. to kind of help me through that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so. These got a lot better. So well done. It, 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 it's easily 90% me or more. <laughs> um, so lest I, lest, I, lest I distract you from having the flattest to keep going, uh, yeah. carry on, please. Okay. It's, this is delightful. Malachi urges Daniel and his team to leave. You know, coronal emissions and all. Very bad. Very, very bad. Mm -hmm. One of Malachi's devices beeps and boops, and he reacts immediately. He pulls a weapon on Daniel, apologizes, and then shoots him. He then begins to operate the whack-a-mole machine. Carter has just finished setting up her equipment, and the team calls out to Jackson, who fails to respond, you know, because he's been shot. Suddenly, the Stargate activates electrical Arcs are jumping from obelisk to obelisk of the ancient ruins. SG-1 finds their unconscious companion. Tilk and O'Neill rush to stop Malachi. Soon a flash of blue light envelops the three of them. Flash! O'Neill is eating his Fruit Loops at breakfast. Daniel asks, What do you think? Weren't we on another planet? No. Come on, we're late for a briefing. The briefing is about the upcoming mission to P4X639. SG-15 had visited the planet two weeks earlier, measuring the solar activity, and now it's time to return for more measurements. We've done this! T-1 
Keoch and O'Neill both observe that they're already, they've already been through this briefing. They've already done this mission. The others are, are skeptical about his foreknowledge of the briefing. No, we haven't. Yes, we have. No, we haven't. That's what you're going to say. Uh, bad example. At that moment, an unscheduled off-world activation occurs, and Teal'c and O'Neill both give details about what is about to happen. SG-12 returns ahead of schedule, and one of them has been injured. O'Neill and Teal'c are both inspected by Dr. Fraser while they relate the details of the mission that has not yet happened. Based on the oddities, General Hammond decides to postpone the mission until they know what is going on. Daniel stops O'Neill in the hallway afterward to ask about details of the ruins, you know, 400 pages of ancient text and the like. Whereupon he is plastered to the floor as Sila runs into him. Later, Hammond reviews the lab result results and confirms that O'Neill and Teal'c are in fact in perfect health. But before they can be put back on the active duty list, there is an unscheduled off-world activation accompanied by the same arc lightning effect seen before. Flash! O'Neill is eating his fruit, fruit Loops at breakfast. Daniel asks, what do you think? Back in the briefing room, we've done this, and you'll believe me when SG-12 comes through the gate in three, two, one, oh, so close. <laughs> SG-12 does finally come through the wormhole. Back in the infirmary, flashlight in the eye, thermometer in the mouth, O'Neill and Daniel in the hallway, 400 pages of ancient text. Blam! Siler runs into Jackson. Hammond, Teal'c, O'Neill. Let's go back to the planet. Waiting around won't help anyone. Okay. Back on P4X639, they encounter Malachi. O'Neill is hostile and demands he stop whatever he's doing. Malachi feigns ignorance. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> O'Neill rummages <laughs> through Malachi's bag and finds a gun. What kind of archaeologist carries a gun? Uh, I do says Dr. Jackson. Bad example. <laughs> he finds a picture of a woman, presumably Malachi's wife. But Malachi won't shut the whack-a-mole off. O'Neill tells Daniel to do it, but he has no idea where to begin as he sputters out his reply, Flash! O'Neill is eating his Fruit Loops at breakfast. Daniel asks, What do you think? When Teal'c and O'Neill get to the briefing, they take the initiative of explaining that they're all stuck in a time loom and it doesn't make sense, but it's true, and there's no reason that they need to be examined by Dr. Fraser. They're examined by Dr. Fraser. <laughs> Afterward, they meet Daniel in his office. It's safer for you in the office. Daniel needs to translate the whack-a-mole text. Focus on the altar. It's a time loop machine. That's what it does. It loops time. In a briefing with Carter immediately after, she hypothesizes that since the arc lightning energizing the gate was transferred to Earth via the Stargate, they should simply attempt to dial out before Malachi can dial in. And hence the time loop will be broken. So they attempt to dial out to the Tolan homeworld, but the seventh chevron won't lock. Soon an incoming wormhole connects. Flash! O'Neill is eating his Fruit Loops at breakfast. Daniel asks... What do you think? O'Neill and Teal'c experience loop after loop. In an attempt to help Daniel translate the ancient text, Jack makes a recording from a previous loop, but since everything reset when the loop began again, the recording didn't happen. Uh, O'Neill is frustrated. The only way they can get out of this loop is if Jack and Teal'c learn and remember and help Jackson loop after loop after loop. 
Carter, meanwhile, has discovered that the, ancient's devi the ancient device on P4X639 simultaneously activates 14 stargates, including Earth and Alaris, the planet SG-12 had been stationed on, cutting them all off from the normal flow of time in the rest of the universe. As Daniel begins teaching Teal'c and O'Neill Latin and ancient, O'Neill complains that he can't remember the topic of O'Neill's question that begins each loop. Teal'c retorts that he too must undergo discomfort at the beginning of each loop, cut to Teal'c getting slammed in the face with the door as he walks down the hall. Uh, sorry, sir. And now, <laughs> the learning montage begins. O'Neill and Teal'c correcting Daniel's translation. Juggling. More juggling. Guys, you getting this? Because this is important. Jack in the cafeteria, I'm telling you, Teal'c, if we don't get out of this soon, I'm going to lose it. Lose it. It means go crazy. Nuts. Insane. Bonzo. No longer in possession of one's faculties. Three fries short of a Happy Meal. Wacko! O'Neill and Teal'c are in charge of the translation. Daniel seems to be learning from them. He then makes an offhand remark that the two of them could do anything they wanted, with no consequences since, you know, they know the loop would reset at the end of the end, end of the day. O'Neill and Teal'c suddenly get ideas. They get up and leave. Cue the goofing off montage. Teal'c takes revenge upon the airman, who opens the door in his face by violently slamming it back on him. O'Neill tries pottery. He bikes through the hallway. He golfs with Teal'c to Alaris through the gate and shouting at General Hammond for interrupting his backswing. He resigns his commission from the Air Force so he can kiss Carter. Ooh, Ooh. smoochy smoochies. Finally, Daniel has finished the translation and confirmed that the planet was once an ancient outpost, but was wiped out by some unidentified disaster at some point in the past. In order to avoid this, the ancients on the planet built a time machine to go back and change their fate, but... The machine never worked properly. It was only able to create a short-term time loop, repeating over and over and over again. You know what the worst thing about being stuck in a time loop is? Getting whacked in the face with a door? You know what the worst thing about being stuck in a time loop is? Getting whacked in the face with a door? You know what the worst thing about being stuck no, in a time loop is? No, 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 no. What is the worst thing about getting stuck in a time loop, Zach? Well, what is the worst thing about being stuck in a time loop, Brent? <laughs> <laughs> Faced with this failure, the ancients <laughs> shut down the machine and let the end come. SG-1 returns to the planet to break the loop, but Malachi is expecting them and has the altar blocked by a Gua'uld force shield. While Jack tries to talk Malachi into turning off the whack-a-mole altar, the archaeologist reveals that he's doing all this so that he can see his wife again, who died 12 years ago. Well, he can't save her, but he could hold her again talk with her again, spend time with her again, and then what? And, and, and then she'd die again. Jack reveals that he lost his son. He knows. And as much as he'd love to see his boy again, he could... Malachi begins seeing things from a different point of view. He shuts down the device, and the loop is broken. Back on the base, Jack, Sam, and Daniel are at breakfast. No one has enjoyed oatmeal as much as the colonel has in this moment. But, hey, you know, when you've been eating Fruit Loops for as long as he has, oatmeal is a great change of pace. <laughs> Sam informs them that the Tok'ra had been trying to reach them for over three months, but the loop could have lasted for longer. There is no clear indication exactly how long it's been going on. 
Daniel asks Jack if he ever did anything crazy, you know, without fear of consequences while trapped in the loop. O'Neill states that he asked that question before, but instead of answering, he gives them a wry smile and takes another bite of his oat. The end. The end. So, Brent. Mm-hmm. Window of opportunity. What'd you think? I liked it. I thought it was pretty fun. <clears throat> there was that middle part there where we were talking about the stars all connecting and getting out of, out of all the gates all connecting and therefore the planets all being out of sync, et cetera, et cetera, which was a little, little meh. Um, and also introduced the, the plot hole of fine. You can't dial out to a planet that is not part of that little, that little club, but you could dial to one of the planets that's in the club. Um, thereby maybe disrupting the time loop. But that wasn't the point, was it? The point was to get... Well, if you dialed in one in the loop, you would stay in the loop. You were stuck there, but you can't yeah, but dial you out would, because... But you would prevent the ability of the whack-a-mole device from dialing all your gate in specific. Well, yeah, but you... Uh, since the loop was with part of all of those planets, even if you dialed out to one of those planets that wasn't that, you'd still be part of the loop and you'd still get stuck. Well, they didn't try it, did they? So... Um, <laughs> So, uh, so that's, that's like the, that I think that's probably, as I'm thinking about it, I think that's probably the worst part of the episode. Um, the premise was great fun. Uh, the storytelling was really, really good. The way it was told was great. Uh, the acting was delightful. It was so much fun. Uh, I can tell that we're not gonna we're not gonna let the uh, the brewing uh, the brewing the brewing love feelings between uh, Carter and uh, O'Neill go under the table much at all. We're gonna just plop that right back out. Um, uh, but it was not it was not bad. It was fine. Uh, yeah, let's see here. What else did I like about it? Um, it was just techno babbly enough that I was kind of getting into it. Um, you know, and uh, I didn't get too hung up on any of the sort of the deeper consequences of of like. You know, if you were stuck in a perpetual time, if you and everybody that you knew were stuck in a 10 hour time loop, like the ancients presumably were, um, you know, would you care? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if because uh, it wasn't just, uh, you know, uh, presumably it was written in a way that it wasn't just a couple of people that were stuck in the time loop. It was everybody that was trying to work on this device. They were trying to cr to make it better so that it could be so that it could get us back further in time than just 10 hours. But, uh, you know, if you, if you posit the notion, Zach, to me, mm -hmm. that, uh, Brent, what, what's going to happen is that the whole world is going to repeat itself, but you will have the knowledge and experiences uh, available to you from the previous iterations. Granted, you will start, it's Groundhog Day, granted, you will start each day in the same spot, with the same resources, but you will have the ability to have the experiences. Um, I don't know. I'd probably be like, okay, <laughs> I'll let you know when I'm bored with it, but it's probably going to be a while. Uh, well, okay. But l let me add to that here just a little bit. Recognizing that there was some sort of at least global calamity, if not mm -hmm. more than global. Mm -hmm. uh, and all of this was happening after the global calamity had, uh, come to the point where they were nearly wiped out imagine living like the 10th hour not the 11th hour but the 10th hour of a giant plague or whatever over and over and over again i suppose i don't know I'd, would that change things for you I, i'm in the middle of the 10th hour of a giant plague right now 
Um, oh no, like, we're not in the tenth hour of that yet. Uh, we're, 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 we might be in hour eight, maybe, but we haven't hit hour ten. But the point is, there's all these books to read, Zach. There's all these shows to watch. There's all this, you know, there's all this art to enjoy. There's all these conversations to have. There's all this this thinking to do. There's all this, uh, you know, like there's so there's so much that can be done in the mind. Um, that if you had ten hour stretches, the, the you know the, this interminable. 10 hours upon 10 hours upon 10 hours like you know you'd get good at pottery and you'd be able to ride your bike down the hall and you know you know i mean i'm just saying like that one is probably the weakest uh um part of the story that doesn't necessarily uh that that is not necessarily a given right it does not necessarily uh, equate to well hey actually stick a pin in that maybe that's exactly what the agents did for like a thousand years <laughs> maybe they did that and then they got to the end of it and they were like okay we're done with this now <laughs> we, we we've had some fun and it was a long time and from the rest of the universe's point of view it didn't actually happen but uh we're done now maybe that's how they became ancient maybe ah. this was maybe this was the this was this was the time in which they suddenly were able to understand so much more about the universe and 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 bend it to their will it and right it's here. entirely possible. So along that line, Julie actually posited that maybe when the ancient ancients were stuck in this time loop, right? Uh, what forever long they were in doing this, maybe that's why there are disparities in the planets and why some of them are still stuck in um, uh, the Middle Ages and and other time. Oh, <laughs> that's the sound of my mind exploding. I, I kind of figured that out. Yeah. I noticed that, yeah. Uh, and I'm like, ooh, that's kind of interesting. That is kind uh, of interesting. That, that at different times, perhaps they uh, were connected to a different set of planets for whatever reason, and all of these different planets, then, you know, Earth was presumably not in that loop, and so Earth progressed, and these other ones basically didn't. They were or, just stuck in that time loop. Or, or, here or, we go. Or, you ready? Uh-oh, there's let's an or. The yep, let's pop the lid on this one. All let's right. go straight at the heart of Fermi's Paradox. And say, look, if there's if there's effect, if nearest makes no difference, there is an infinite number of worlds supporting an infinite number of societies. There, then there, by definition, has to be at least one of them that figured out a whole lot of stuff fast and ought to be just like just colonizing the entire galaxy. Why are we not seeing it? And the answer could very well be that maybe. Uh, you know, maybe what had happened is that the ancients first discovered uh, how to make a time loop and every single advanced species we have come across so far has been manipulated in some way that they were able to advance in a way, or, or, flip it around. Every single society that is not spacefaring at this time was a, at some point, a piece of this time loop puzzle at varying points. And including the sort of conundrum of, okay, well, at what point were humans snatched from Earth? We have all these disparate, like, time chunks. And and I know I'm getting into the reason. I'm positive that this thing is actually, like, answered in a, maybe a bit better way later in the series. But the concept of, yeah, um, localized time events are actually common-ish. Uh, and, and indeed, uh, the, the starting point of all of these races was much more similar at one point. It's just that this group of people were able to advance 
in ways that hindered that other group of people. And then the, 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 the peoples that we're talking about were switching around a little bit. Like that technology became shared and this other group of people ended up using it and they became spacefaring and then, and they started building these weird things and they had the little conclave with the, ta- the torment of Tantalus thing and the light lightning rod in the top and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it's all related, man. It's like connected, like all, like all these pieces of paper with yarn in between it. And I'm sitting here smoking a cigarette and go crazy. And like, you know, wacko. <laughs> I got are, a little excited. Are you feeling okay? Yeah. Are, yeah. are you okay? Okay. okay? Zach, I've been stuck inside a house for a week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so. So, yeah. Um, sorry, I kind of went off the rails. Um what did I think? I, I, I liked it. I laughed. I mean, the funny parts were funny. The touching parts at the end were very touching. Like it was, it was good. It was a lot of fun. This was a great, ep- mm-hmm. I, I was about to say this is a great episode. And yeah. I'll stand by that statement. That seems to imply that I'm going to give it a particular rating. I'm not going to give it a particular rating, but I, I, I liked it a lot. What about you? I like this episode. I just have fun with this. And this is an episode that I can just pull off and watch whenever I want. Um, and you just have fun with it. Uh, yeah. It's, it, it, it's the, the funny parts are funny. Uh, the end, when, when he starts talking, Malachi starts talking about his wife and uh, O'Neill brings up his son, uh, that acting from uh, Richard Dean Anderson mm-hmm. is just perfect uh you can feel the 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 emotional rending in him in that moment yeah it tears him up and and you don't need any more words than that because you just you feel it it's right there yeah um and and it adds uh uh a plausible reason uh for for malachi to stop this process um because otherwise Yeah, yeah, yeah you know especially now that he's got a shield, there's no reason for him to stop it. If, if there isn't a change in perspective in that regard through that, um, you know, so, uh, I love this episode. It's just, just a hoot. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the comedy is there, you know, the, the trope of being stuck in a time loop is just a, a fun one. If it's done well, it's just wonderful. Um, and, and you have two other examples uh in in film that that uh, this is drawing upon one is cause and effect from Star Trek the next mm-hmm. generation mm-hmm. um uh, Brad Wright the creator says look I don't want to do just cause and effect again um so one of the when this was first being pitched one of the first things that they talked about is like well can we do this as a straight episode uh, a serious episode and Brad Wright's like you know look if we do that now you know how is that unique from from cause and effect you know we yeah. don't need that um and and they're like no no let's not do cause and effect let's do groundhog day yeah and then the impetus came out and and it's just built and and uh became a very very fun humorous episode and uh the shots were good uh you know Deloise has got a great eye for for getting the cameras in the right space and oh, getting yeah. the actors yeah. uh, to do the right thing in the right way for, for this comedic timing. Uh, I mean, you know, the fact that his dad is, is the comedian that he is, yeah. gee, he, he has drawn upon that and really uh, made that his own. And, and he just does it really, really, really well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that popped into my head and I haven't 
formed this thought thoroughly, so maybe you can assist me, um, is uh, the idea of perspective changing and time loops. Mm-hmm. And if that has anything to say to us today, uh, I'm certain this goes beyond what, uh, you know, uh, Paul and, and Joseph uh intended when they wrote this episode but hey this is what i like to do sure um you know so uh malachi gets himself into this time loop and he is aware of this time loop he is aware that this is happening again that he's reliving the same 10 hours over and over again he's not necessarily aware that it's affecting other people he knows it's affecting the planet um and uh he's doing this presumably so that he doesn't age particularly so that he can have more time to navigate all of this stuff. Sure. Uh, but it comes to, at the very end, when he is uh, given a brand new perspective in a way he wasn't looking at it before. He was just thinking, I need to do this over and over again so I can figure out how to work so I can go back in time and I can see my wife again because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I am incomplete without her. That's mm-hmm. that's his, his modus operandi. And then when it changes perspective, then the time loop is broken. And I wonder if... For us, if we tend to live in our own proverbial time loops mm. until such times as as our perspective on life, on the situation at hand, uh, is changed, and then something new can occur. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was just kind of running through my head, and I haven't actually fleshed all of that out. But uh, um, well, know, I think you're stuck eating Fruit Loops for yeah. forever. All of a sudden, if something changes and you can eat oatmeal. How amazing is oatmeal? And we think oatmeal. Yeah. Well, right. But what I think what what I think you're saying is uh, is sort of the concept that we will not change unless the pain of remaining the same outweighs the pain of change. And uh, you know that's a that's a pretty grim way to look at it. But it's it's similar to um, uh, just acknowledging that there are a whole host of people, myself included, who. Uh, will absolutely seek to change and change meaningfully, but it's because there is, um, there is a reward on one side and, um, and a a detriment on the other that move me in a particular direction. Right. So, uh, being stuck doing the same thing for too long makes me, uh, bored and I don't like it. And, um, uh, therefore I seek to reinvent things and I seek to redo things and I seek to learn that, you know, that's just me and the reward I get on the other side of that stuff is very fulfilling. So I enjoy growing. Um, um, William Butler, William Butler Yates has a line somewhere. Um, you know, I only know the line, uh, we are happy when we are growing and I love that line. Um, uh, I think it's, 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 it speaks very well to me and my, my sort of personal uh, ethos. So getting back to like time loops and having something pop in to pop us out of it, <clears throat> I think that that's, that's a, that is a way to look at it. Like uh, the motivation could be internal or external, but that, but something is popping in and otherwise we're just going to keep trundling along eating our fruit loops. Uh, I think that might be sort of one of the um, sort of one of the dangers of habit or um, the dangers of uh, routine uh, because time melts when that happens. Uh, you know, you look up and all of a sudden, you know, 15 years have gone by and you're not sure where they've went. Um, and, uh, you know, for, for such a fragile species as us, uh, where we get 80 years on this planet and that's it, um, that, that kind of, of, of robbery 
of opportunity is meaningful and at least it's meaningful to me and I think it should be meaningful to lots of people because that's my opinion um but uh, how do we get ejected out of our routine and also side note routines are comforting routines are stabilizing so you know it's not like every person needs to be a risk taker out there uh, some people have more capacity for it than others and it's unfair then to those that have lower capacity for risk that you know they're going to be in these routines and therefore they're going to have this time melt that I'm talking about um, I'm rambling, but, um, you know, there's a stream of conscious sort of reaction to that thought, but I still think that, that, that it's valid. Uh, I think that your, your preliminary thought, Zach is, is interesting. And it, I think it tracks. I think it's, I think that it could be described like we are in our own little personal time loops until we have something that pops in and changes our perspective about something. Yeah. So you began that by, by talking about, uh, uh, the, we won't change until the the prospect of the 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 challenge or pain of changing uh, is is less than the, the the pain of staying the same. I don't remember mm-hmm. how you worded that. Yep. Uh, and and when you first said that, I'm like, I don't know if that's what I'm saying. And then I started thinking about it. And I'm like, you know, there's something to that. And and you know, there's you know, I live in a church world, and mm-hmm. and the church is notoriously slow at at changing. And a mm-hmm. lot of people uh, just want to go back to the way it was in the past because it was good in the past. Right. And uh, there's a lot of church leaders who are trying to uh, move the, the church uh, forward uh, through pain, through challenge, through discomfort, through a new way of doing things. Uh, because doing the way thing, the things, doing the same thing we've done over and over again isn't actually solving the problem. Right. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, at the very beginning of this episode, uh, or the beginning of these time loops, uh, O'Neill is like, well, okay, I am going to record what you said in the last episode so that I don't have to change significantly because so you can just draw on your skills and your abilities and, uh, then we can move on that way. And that doesn't mm-hmm. work. The only thing that works is for him to take ownership of his own change, and even in the midst of the time loop, even in the midst of everything else remaining the same, uh, O'Neill and Teal'c take this opportunity to to actively change themselves and what they know, uh, at least in a microcosm, if not in a macrocosmic uh, realm, right, right. Uh, so that they can break out of the the mundane of Fruit Loops. Um, and there's actually something there too, because, you know, even as we strive to change, even as we strive to, uh, break out of a loop, uh, we're still going to find ourselves stuck in whatever that loop we were in before, Mm -hmm. at least for a time. Uh, you know, we can't just jump to the moment when we understand, uh, the workings of the whack-a-mole device and can just say a couple of words and convince Malachi to turn it off, um, there needs to be some learning and some changing that needs to happen in the process of it. Yeah. Um, which is not sexy. It's not exciting. Right. It's not easy. It's not pleasant at all times, uh, but it is an element uh, needed in growth. Yeah, it's necessary. Right. It is necessary. Yeah, growing um, growing hurts. Um. You, That's you why they don't, call it growing pains. Yeah, you don't, you, you don't, um, 
you don't grow because you like the growing part. You like the growth part. Mm-hmm. You like what you get at the other side of it. And and I think you know, part of what we have here is is a chance to to recognize that even while you're dealing with the pain of growing, mm-hmm. um, because even while nobody else in this episode is growing, Teal'c and, and O'Neill are growing, mm-hmm. they also find ways of of enjoying the moment. Uh, and so then you get a little bit of frivolity. Uh, yes. You know, uh, you get a little schadenfreude uh, at mm-hmm. times. Um, but but that's also part of this process as well, is that uh, not only, you know, we don't grow simply to get to the other side of things. Um, because, but we also recognize that the growing itself is challenging, but we also need to find, even in the midst of that challenging, in the midst of the growing and the pain, can we find uh, value in that moment, even if it's not the most pleasant, the not mo- the most fun, can we find that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and there's there's an, a depiction of that in this episode, and uh, that's that's actually valuable for us to think about, especially right now as we are going through a global catastrophe, uh, at least on an economic level, if not on a health level. Yeah, uh, that uh, the world has not seen in over a hundred years or more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and this isn't going to be a quick fix. We're not going to get this done in a couple of weeks' time. This is going to be months. Uh, and if the economic realities uh, are as bad as they're projecting, then it even after the health concerns are diminished, we're going to be dealing with the economic realities of this for years. Yes. Um and so this isn't a quick fix. So how can we find in this moment a means to be growing, a means to find meaningful change um, and value in life in the midst of all of that? And that, at the risk of keeping this conversation going too long, that's, I think, sort of the best op. Okay, for me, that is one of the most optimistic things to realize. It's that... Um, people are really good at adapting. Um, really, really, really good at adapting. People are really good at finding joy in all sorts of situations. Um, we commonly will look at a group of people that choose to live over that away, you know, pick your that away. And uh, we look at their situation and we say, my gosh, I could never live where it is, you know, dark nine months of the year. I could never live where it gets above 100 degrees like every day. Or, you know what I mean? Like you, there, there's all sorts of little like permutations on that idea. And of course, there are people that are living there. And uh, the, the, the ability to find joy and meaning and comfort and connection and uh, community in any situation is... I argue one of humanity's b- most resilient and best traits. Uh, and so, yeah, this is a situation that's really, really scary because it's completely uncertain. There's so much that we know will be affected, but we don't exactly know what, and we don't exactly know in what way, and we don't exactly know for how long or in what capacity. Um, my sister forwarded an article to me, I'm sure it's making the rounds, uh, that uh a very oversimplified way of saying it is that we are experiencing anticipatory grief right now. Uh, collectively, as a society, all of us at once are anxious about what is about to happen. 
and we do what we can to control what we can, but we also recognize that there's a lot of things in there that are not in our control. And so in some cases, some of us try to get more control over the situation. Some of us are refusing to acknowledge its actual impact. Uh, we're blaming others, but a lot of other people are just trying to weather the storm. And, uh, you know, we will get through this, obviously, um, but, uh, you know, at what cost? And the, the, but, the ter- but the flip of at what cost is um, at what opportunities, you know, what, what's actually going to be on the other side of this is unknown. And that's what makes us worried. But when we're there, when we're finally in that position, whatever that position looks like, uh, you know, you've got some friends and some neighbors, you got some family, um, you know, that those groups are going to rally and some of it's going to be bad, but most of it's going to be good. And, um, and that's okay. That's heartening. Yeah. At the risk of potentially trivializing things, and I don't mean to, um, in my church, we have been wanting to live stream our worship services for probably more than a decade. Mm-hmm. We've been thinking about this, yeah. planning it, I, you know, wanting to do things, and we've slowly done a little bit of this, a little bit of that to kind of move in that direction. And now, all of a sudden, uh, this reality has kicked us in the butt, and we're live streaming now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All of a sudden, two weeks later, we're doing it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, I, I'm quite certain that if it hadn't been for the realities that we are in right now, uh, we would still be dreaming about the time sometime in the future when we would be live streaming. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, this is something that we fully intend to continue beyond this current crisis. Uh, and and you know there's there's something there's some value in in the moment and in the yeah. time uh, even in the bad there there is something uh, worth holding on to yeah it's gonna be all right so yeah we will get through it hopefully not with a time loop you know what the worst thing about being stuck in a time loop is the, getting hit in the door with a face uh, so Brent <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It strikes me that it's probably time to shift gears. Not only that, but I don't know. I don't know how many times I have said getting hit in the door with a face. I just realized I said that just this time. I hope I've been saying getting hit in the face with a door, but I don't actually know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. uh, Anyway. Yeah. Window of opportunity. Yeah. Out of seven chevrons. Yeah. How many chevrons do you give it? So, um, I like this one. It's really, really good. And we ended up having a really good conversation as a result at the end of it. Um, I'm not going to give it seven because I'm reserving seven for those moments that are just so good. So good. And this one, though good, was not so good. Um, I'm going to give it a nice solid six. Uh, The acting was great. The story was great. It was well shot. Uh, Well paced. Creative. Mostly. Um, It was a good time. I liked it. Six. All right. Six. I am going to give it that seven. It okay. Gets seven. Uh, this is an episode that, uh, you know, I, I am like most Stargate listeners and watchers. Uh, this is one of the highest rating, if not the highest rated episode of Stargate, according to IMDb. Um, yeah. Uh, that doesn't mean that it has to be your favorite, but it is, the you know, the is favorite this? for a whole ton of people. Is this Julie's favorite? This is, in fact, Julie's uh-huh. favorite. 
Yeah. She had told me that her favorite episode of the entire series was in season four. So this was it. Nice. This is it. Uh, she predicts that there is only one right answer to the question of how many chevrons does this episode get? Yeah. <laughs> and she says, it is not six. It is not seven. Oh! But it is, in fact, eight chevrons. This is an eight chevron for her. Wow. Julie says it's an eight chevron. Suffice it to say, it doesn't get the eight chevrons from either one of us. Yeah, no. In fact, it's, it's too full short on my side. Yeah. All right, we do have lots of Julie's looking at me going, boo, 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 whatever. Maybe I'll watch All it right. again. Maybe this will be one that we force a recount with. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. All right, so we do have several other predictions. Yep. Um, so uh, Justin predicts sevens all around. Okay. Yeah, sevens. Uh, close. Uh, yeah. Kimberly predicts ah. you'll give it a seven and that I'll actually give it that coveted eighth show. Oh, my goodness. Hi, Kimberly. Thanks for letting us know, but no. <laughs> Apparently not. Okay. Um, Super close, now, though. let's see. I wonder if anybody's going to think that we give it like a poor rating. Uh, Okay, Justin says, I predict seven from Brent because Bane. (laughs) This was, this was was not silly. This was not ridiculous-ish. It was bordering on, whatever. Okay. Uh, He also (laughs) says, Zach will struggle not to rate it six and a half, ultimately bumping it up to seven. (laughs) Were Uh, you struggling at all? No, I was going to give it a seven. <laughs> uh, Kelly gives it a seven oh, all around. Hi, this Kelly. episode is top amongst true Stargate fans. Uh, Michelle says six Ooh, from both. Hi, Funny Michelle. episode and amazing. Uh, Michelle, I, I, I think you're new. At least the first time I'm recognizing your name popping up here. Kimberly and Kelly both uh, tossed out predictions when we did Ergo. Um, oh, that's right. So uh, they they predicted our sevens on all around on that one. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but uh, Michelle seems to be new here. So welcome, Michelle. Thanks Hi, for, Michelle. for adding your prediction to it. Um, wonderful. And then we also have some emails that I got to uh-huh. pull up. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of predictions this week, Brent. I mean, it was exciting. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that this is one that prompts uh, this. This prompts strong feelings. Yeah. Okay. Arnacht. Yeah. Firstly, as previously seen with Ergo, a popular episode, I predict an increased number of predictions since this is an even more popular episode. (laughs) You nailed that one, Arnott. Absolutely, you did. (laughs) Secondly, I predict that Zach and Brent will both give this episode seven, Uh if not eight chevrons. Wow. It's a comedic masterpiece. It has a great emotional hook. The dead alien civilization is compelling in itself. It contains more content for Jack Sam Shippers. Uh huh. That's true. On a side note, uh, there would be some very confused astronomers who wake up one morning and find that the stars and planets <laughs> have taken several months' movement in the past day. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let me check my notes. Look at the sky. So actually, <sighs> you could, if that is in fact true, yeah, uh, that would actually give you a potential. Uh, yes. Uh, way to figure out uh, how long you were actually stuck in this. Yes, it could. Of- yes, it could. Now, uh, no, we have more predictions. I was about to go on a sci-fi rant, but okay. Clay says, Clay. "I don't see how this episode can be Hi, anything Clay. but seven for both Zach <laughs> Mctell and Master Brentek." 
feel like I got to defend myself here in a second. But anyway, carrying on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, not completely, completely original premise, but very well done. Great acting. Lots of fun shots. Excellent character work from Jack and Malachi. Lots to chew on here. I'm hoping to hear lots from both of you about Malachi's motivation. Mm. Uh, the lack of consequences. Uh, what you two would do with that much time on your hands. Ideas for we improving the repetitious and incremental learning. The impact of cutting mm-hmm. those several worlds off from the universe for months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, we addressed some of those. At yeah, least a little bit. Some mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Uh, and if we didn't do that enough to your satisfaction, Clay, jump onto the Facebooks and add your comments and for thoughts real. therein. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, and did you notice the colored jello in the mess hall? It is a recurring theme that of that set so much jello actually i missed the jello i did miss the jello <laughs> i missed the jello we wonder... have two more predictions okay carry on all right david hi david groundhog day bias buffer he says <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> one of the best ever it has everything well acted funny and a bit poignant great jokes and some meaningful interactions even if they only last 10 hours Brent, I'm going out on a limb here, but it's funny, it's engaging, it's over the top, it's seven chevrons. Uh-huh. I got a feeling he's Zach, being sarcastic about the limb part. <laughs> well, yeah. See, you're wrong, Brent. You ha- need to I guess reevaluate I'm your life decisions. I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna, but, you know, yeah. There you Do go. we need to go through the life again, the, the, the loop again, so that you can change your perspective and give it the correct rating? Uh, look, I'm taking a day off this loop. I'm taking a no, loop okay. off. Taking a loop off. Okay. He says, Zach, while I would love it if he would unlock the eighth chevron, I think he will save that for another episode. So seven chevrons as well, possibly seven and a half. Who knows? Oh, breaking out the possibility Um, of a half chevron on the seventh. Hmm. Oh, wait, he keeps going. Okay. uh, Because we have another Groundhog Day bias buffer. Okay. One of the best ever. It has everything well acted, funny, and a bit poignant. Great jokes and some meaningful interactions, even if they only last 10 hours. Brent, he's going to love it, but it has the top... But is it over the top enough? It's better than Broken Divide, and Teal turns into a bunch of bugs, so it has to be better than a six. So by his own rules, it must be seven chevrons. Zach unlocks the eighth chevron for this episode. It's better than Teal turning into a bunch of bugs. And hey, I completely confess that Broken Divide is definitely looking like less than a six over time, all right? (laughs) Wait, wait, he goes on. Groundhog Day bias buffer. One of the best ever. It has everything well acted, funny, and a bit poignant. Great jokes and some meaningful interactions, even if they only last 10 hours. Brent, the loops were repetitive, but not in a bad way. However, tropes weren't tropey enough. Five chevrons. Zach O'Neill's existential crisis of having to repeat the same 10 hours seemingly endlessly, coming close to getting what he wanted, only to be denied, was worthy of an in-depth discussion. The possibility of something embarrassing ending the loop, like quitting and kissing Carter, is an interesting concept and one that should have been explored, but wasn't five and a half chevrons. <laughs> Does he go Groundhog on? Day bias buffer. Oh, yeah, got one, <laughs> one of the best ever. It has everything. Well acted, funny, and a bit poignant. Great jokes and some meaningful interactions, even if they only last 10 hours. Brentak. Tropey, tropey, trope, trope. Ha ha. Talk, talk, funny, indeed. Six chevrons. <laughs> Zach Nicotel. Wordy, words, word. Wacko. Great. Six and a half chevrons. Breaking the loop here. First one is my real prediction, unless one of the others is, is correct. Unless one of the others is correct. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Oh, oh I just got lightheaded. I was laughing too much. Oh, my gosh. David, that oh, was great. Thank you. thank you, David. Thank you for that. You made me laugh. We uh, have one more. Okay. 
Caleb says, "Hi, Caleb. This is a new, new, new guy for new uh, prediction from Caleb. So thanks for giving us predictions, Caleb. Predictions this week for Windows Opportunity. It's a good podcast. Keep up the good work. He predicts five all around. Five all around. It's a good podcast or good podcast. So, it's a good episode. Well, I hope it's a good podcast. It's, it's fun I, to read. I, 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 I'm having a good time. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So for apparently, so I apparently I might have um I might have broken a few radios just then, like giving it a six. Somebody might have punched the dash. Um, uh, somebody probably threw their phone across the room now. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know my rule so, though is that once I make a once I make a Chevron, you know, it's locked. That is true. That's true. Uh, but. We are. We do have a window of opportunity here, Brent. Yeah. To What's go back and fix loop? the mistakes of the past. <laughs> you tell me we re-record the entire seventy-three minutes that we've got. So no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we don't need to go seventy-three minutes. We only need to go about ten or fifteen minutes. No, it's a very tight ten time loop. Yeah. All right. All, All right. right. So the next episode, Brent. Yes. Is an episode called Watergate. Yes. And I ask you, my dear friend, what is Watergate about? Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team travel through the gate to find themselves in a strange world. They find themselves inside what appears to be a grand lobby with a, a host of pillars around them, square and modern looking. They walk through this building, which clearly is also... Um, no longer occupied at this particular point and they are they are trying to figure out exactly where they are what's going on they round the bend and they run smack into a person wearing a tie holding a bunch of file folders what what you're not supposed to be here and off he runs what was going on that person looked like he was dressed from the 1970s wait a minute are we in the 1970s we were sent back to 1969 and i had to be reminded about that last episode and we just got done enduring a 10-hour time loop perhaps stargate is finally turning into a proper time travel show join us next time as we do our best to uncover the actual story of the break-in at watergate bum 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 now I know you told me that Watergate's not about the political scandal, but I insist on bringing it back. So okay, well, because I think you might have been lying to me. Maybe not lying. Maybe just trying to nudge me off course. Well, it wouldn't be the first time that I might try to. <laughs> um, without making any further comments on uh-huh. on what you believe Watergate is all about, yeah, shall we? enter into the realm of this week's promo yes i am are you ready yes i am hitting go now next time on stargate sg1 quickly clack oh wait what Uh uh-oh isn't that something we've seen before when another gate is being used on earth there was a minor seismic event that matches the team. When the Stargate fails to connect, the team searches for answers. It's in Russia! They have a Stargate? They fetched the it from the seafloor! They arrive at the Russian base, only to find everyone dead, and the Stargate still connected to a gate at the bottom of an ocean. I thought you might be interested, Dr. Jackson. We found some unusual ruins 
from an obvious Wait a minute, that's Chancellor Troy! Chancellor Troy. <laughs> but who's responsible for giving away the secrets of the Stargate? It's all next time what? on Stargate SG-1. Where the meat locker? Oh my goodness! Holy cow! I see Teal'c hasn't shaved off his butterfly or his caterpillar yet. No, no, that hasn't happened yet. But it will. It will happen. Trust me. I'm pretty excited. So, yeah. So the Russians have better fetch that gate. Otherwise, if there's a third gate, that's going to be a bit, a bit much. Um, well, we will find out what happens next time. So yes. while, you know, it, it's not the 1970s, the Russians are involved. The Russians had nothing to do with Watergate. Oh, um, so you think. <laughs> oh my gosh. G. Gordon Liddy was actually a Russian operative. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, All right. in any case, uh, we will get to Watergate in about three weeks' time. We're going to take the next couple yes. weeks off. Uh, That's right. So. Uh, until then, have a wonderful couple of weeks. Keep the conversations going yes. on Facebook and in Twitter. Uh, if you uh, are capable in this time of uh, joining and participating in the Patreon world, please do so. Um, but also don't feel like you have to. Nope. Um, you know, this is this is a fun project, and that's all it is. Um, yeah. So. No. No tell sweat. Tell us what you think. Yeah. Tell us what you think. Tell us where Brent got it wrong. I well, know. you don't have to do that because we already know that. <sighs> Did I, I'm just. I, I love insert witty. Insert witty. Thank you. But I'm grumpy. <laughs> I think I think that there's going to be an episode in my future that's going to blow my mind. I am predicting at some point. We're going to have a cavalry stampede. No, not a stampede. A cavalry charge that's totally going to be awesome. And I'm going to be like, see, this is seven. And that's what, and that's how it's going to go. Ah. Okay. That's, that's my story. Okay. And then I All found right. $5. Ooh. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. All right. So, All right. Bring it on uh, in, Zach. Tell us, tell us what you think. Uh, email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, Walking Through the Stargate Facebook page and the Facebook group. Have fun. And uh, yeah. until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you later. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.